And uh, we are in week two of a series we began last week called Modern Art. Now, if you're wondering what the series is about, what we're not talking about artwork, what we're really looking at is helping you develop the uncommon and maybe even unconventional practices in our current culture. I said this last week, but there is no better word that should characterize a Christian than uncommon. When you look at the culture that we live in, we are called to be, Scripture says, a peculiar people. We're called to be different. And so the way we behave and the way we interact should look different than others. And last week, I taught a message called The Art of the Exit. I heard so many people talk about how that helped them, encouraged them, uh, related to right where they were at. They were sharing it with others. And uh, today, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk to you about a different art, but I believe it's one that will have an immediate impact. You can put this to use right away in your life, and it's going to give you a new perspective because the topic that we're going to look at today uh, is key in understanding how God uses others in our life. You understand that, right? That your future is connected to others. Your future is connected to others. If you're a teacher, you need a student. If you're a doctor, you need a patient. Right? If you're a coach, you need a player. If you're a shop owner, you need a customer. Your future is connected to others. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, it's a well-known passage in John chapter 4. You can find your way there, those of you who have your Bibles. And it's a well-known passage where Jesus has this conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. And I'm not going to read the whole conversation because it, it spans about 40 verses in John chapter 4. You can read it on your own today, but I do want to give you the context of this passage so we can all feel connected to what's happening. This is early on in the ministry of Jesus. He's only worked one miracle at this point. That's where he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, and he's just recently established his ministry team. Now he's beginning to travel from town to town preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And having previously been in Jerusalem for the Passover, now he went to Judea and he's making his way back to Galilee. But before he can get to Galilee, he has to go through Samaria. And along the way, while he's passing through Samaria, he stops at this well to rest. He sends his disciples to go get some food. And it's while he's at this well that this woman comes to draw water from the well. And that's when the scandal happens. I say scandal because it would have been unheard of for a Jewish man to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Not only would it have been scandalous in that regard, but Jewish, but Jesus is not just a Jewish man. He's also a rabbi. And it was unheard of for a rabbi to speak to a woman publicly, specifically about theology, because they have this theological conversation. And the way it starts out is she's coming to draw water. Jesus asks her this question, inviting her uh, into a dialogue and asks her to draw water for himself. It quickly moves from water to theology. And then Jesus moves it from the theoretical to the practical. And that's what Jesus will always do, by the way. If you spend some time with him, God will let you ask him your questions. He'll let you converse, but eventually he wants to get to the heart of the issue. Eventually, he wants to get to where you live. And what transpires in this conversation is that 
Jesus reveals the truth about her situation she thought nobody else knew. See, she realizes that this is not an ordinary man. She says to Jesus, I see you're a prophet because he tells her to go grab her husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. He said, you answered that right because you've actually had five husbands and the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. So that's the context as we get into this conversation. We're going to look towards the conclusion of this dialogue. And in John chapter 4, verse 25, says this, The woman said to him, I know the Jews are looking for one who's coming. He's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I am the Christ, the one talking with you. Well, right then, Jesus' disciples, they came back and they were surprised and wondered about finding him talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They knew that they should keep their mouth shut. I'm going to talk about the art of being silent in another sermon. But says the woman left her water jar and went into the town. She said to the men, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It says, and they went out of town and came to him. Now, like I said, this is a pretty well-known passage. If you've grown up in church at all, you've been to church, even somewhat infrequently, you You've maybe heard a sermon on this chapter before because a lot of people, they'll, they'll, there's so much content here. There's a number of things I've heard preachers talk about. Maybe the first thing, the, the normal route people will go is they'll, they'll talk about the Holy Spirit because this woman is, is coming to draw water. Water is a type picture symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. She wants to draw water and Jesus says to her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for water and he would give you living waters you'd never thirst again. It's a picture, a symbol of something he's going to come back to in John chapter 7, talking about the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of a common route. Another place people will go to is they'll talk about worship, because in the context of this conversation, she asked Jesus this theological question about what's the right way to worship? Should we worship this way or that way? Should we worship in this place or, or that place? And he says, you, you've got it all wrong. It's not about the place, it's about the person. If the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. So sometimes I hear people talk about worship, talk about the Holy Spirit. Then maybe if they don't go there, they'll, right after this passage we read, Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about the harvest. And they'll maybe preach a message on the purposes and, and plans of God, how, how the harvests are already ripe. And we need to pray that God will send laborers into the harvest because he has a work that he wants to do in this earth. And none of those are bad things. I've, I've probably preached messages on all those subjects at some point from this text. But the passage I want to talk about today that, that we read is something I've never preached on before and I've never heard preached on before. I, I want to talk to you today about invitation. Invitation. I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes, the art of of the invite, the art of the invite, because there's a, there's an art to this. And it's one, I think people don't understand. And people sometimes feel like they're not qualified for, not gifted for, they don't know how to do. And, and you're going to quickly see how God wants to use this message to help you in your future. That's connected to others. Now it's always my custom to pray before we get into the preaching of God's word. Cause I know I need God's help and I don't just want to speak from my own ability, but I, I really want God to use me to speak to you today. So 
If you would just bow your head with me for a moment and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. We know every time we open up your word, you speak. And I ask that you would do it again, God. Use me. Nobody needs to know my ideas or opinions. What we need is to hear from you. We need your perspective in our situation. God, I believe you're going to use this message to help people today, to help them see your plan and purpose for them, to, to help them understand the things you want to do in their life. So let your word go forth today, God, and let us receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, have you ever received an invitation to someplace that you didn't want to go? Anybody? I'm not asking you to tell where. I'm just saying. I think we all have received a few of those. I can't think about unwanted invitations without going back to my childhood. A little bit about me. I grew up in pastor's home, pastor's kid. My dad was a Methodist pastor, pastored small churches. That was my upbringing, many small churches. And uh, one thing you got to understand about being the pastor's kid is, and being in a pastor's family is, particularly in small churches, small towns, everybody loves to invite the pastor and his family over for dinner. I know there's some PKs in the room, so you can just like, you know, wink at me or something if I'm telling the truth. It's, uh, it's, it's real. It's real. So I remember this one family in particular that was relentless about trying to invite my, my parents and our family over. And unfortunately, I, th- I think my parents were able to hold them off, but I'd never wanted to go over there for multiple reasons. See, first of all, when you're a kid, there is nothing worse than going over someplace where you don't know these people well, to you're going to have a conversation that you don't really care about, and then you're going to have to be on your best behavior for who knows how long. It's the worst thing for a kid. So there was this one family, though. They were relentless in trying to get our, our family over there, and uh, uh, I did not want to go there at all because I had been to their house one time before. I don't know why I went to their house. Maybe a, somebody borrowed a book or something from them, but I remember being in their house and their house was filled with stuffed animals. Now you're thinking of teddy bears. You're wrong. I'm talking about taxidermy. And when I say this, I don't mean like, you know, a a deer rack on the wall or like a grizzly that they shot in Alaska. No, I mean like an armadillo. I mean like their cat, their their dog. My kids ask me, why can't we have a pet? It's because I was around too many dead pets. Just, you know, just pet it for comfort, just whenever. Unwelcomed invitations. That's why I'm going with this. I just, I'm setting that up to say, I want to recognize that sometimes we can hear an invitation, and, and what we hear when we hear that word invitation is really inconvenience. Like, I remember this one family, uh, hearing about this one family, they, they were throwing this big party at their house. They had all their family and friends coming over, and they asked their daughter to pray, a daughter who's six years old, like my daughter Pippa, and she didn't know what to say and what to pray, and the mom said, just say what you hear mom say. And she said, oh God, why did I invite all these people over? (laughs) Sometimes invitations can be inconvenient. I recognize that. But 
At the same time, I want to suggest to you that some invitations can be life-changing. There are some great invitations. Like when I think about some of the most powerful moments in my life, they really came by way of invitation. I was at a conference one time, stopped at Starbucks because that's what pastors do when you're at a conference, you go to Starbucks and there's this pastor behind me who I knew but had never spoke to him, didn't know him well and, and I just, I bought his coffee. We struck up a conversation and, and he invited me to, to visit his church and be a part of the, this group of other pastors. It created a lot of life-changing relationships for me just through one invitation. So many of my closest friends have come through that one invitation. I, I remember uh, years ago, three years into when we started this church, um, I, I'd struck up a conversation with this guy on Twitter. That was back when people still use Twitter and uh, struck up this conversation. And he invited me out to his church in Seattle, this church called Champion Center. And just through that one invitation, it changed the, the course of my life. met my pastor there, Pastor Kevin Gerald, and so many of the team has been influential with, with our team and conferences and all the stuff that now we're partners with them. It all came through an invitation. And so I, I know that sometimes you might have heard invitation and thought inconvenience, but I, I just want to suggest to you that invitations are powerful. I, invitations are, are powerful because they're opportunities of potential and the right invitation can change the very course of your life. Now, when I say change the course, it takes me back to the text because that's what most people would have wanted to do in this instance. It's funny because in John chapter four, verse four, there's this phrase that said, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to? I mean, this is the son of God. He didn't have to do anything. I mean, he, well, one thing we see about Jesus is that he wasn't controlled by anyone. He he was always about the agenda of his father. So when it says he had to go through Samaria, it kind of struck me as interesting because that doesn't sound like Jesus. But the reason he had to go through Samaria was because he had a divine appointment there with this woman. You see, most Jews would not have wanted to go through Samaria. The, the, the reason is because the Samaritans, they were kind of half Jewish, half Gentile, both ethnically and religiously. And because of that, Jews had a contempt for the Samaritans. You can read about it in verse 9, John chapter 4. And before we start getting too judgmental of the Jews, let's just remember that all of us have Samaria. All of us have Samaria in our lives. Let me say that again. All of us have some area in our lives that many times we would rather avoid, but God says, no, I want to do something in Samaria. I want to do something in Samaria. See, it would have been twice as long for them to walk around Samaria than to go through it. And I wonder if there is an area that you've been trying to avoid that God wants to take you through. He had an appointment with this woman, this woman of questionable character, and 
I just throw this out for the Bible nerds in there. This is going to be interesting for your own study. But it's fascinating to me the parallels and contrast between this conversation in John chapter 4 and the previous conversation Jesus has in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a religious person. Nicodemus was a ruler of the law. It's interesting, though, when you look at the parallels and contrast, because Nicodemus sought Jesus out. Jesus sought this woman out. Nicodemus was inquiring. This woman was indifferent. Nicodemus was a respected individual. This woman was an outcast. Nicodemus was educated. This woman was ignorant. Nicodemus was a religious Jew. This woman was an unorthodox Samaritan woman. But what you see about both of these conversations is that both of these conversations had a big impact on their lives, brought them to a place of salvation. We know it had a big impact on this woman because immediately after this conversation, it was so powerful that immediately she left to go tell others. And we know she was in a hurry. We know she was in a hurry because it says she didn't even bother to take her water jar with her. It's in verse 28. Let's just look at it again. It says, the woman left her water jar and went into the town. Now, this does not make sense to me. It didn't at first. Because water is what she came for. You have to understand, water in Bible times, in a desert scenario, water is life. We know she was desperate for this water, and we know that it implied that she even was maybe a little self-conscious about going to the well and being around people because it says she went the sixth hour of the day, which would have been noon, which would have been the heat of the day because most people would not have gone for water at the heat of the day. She didn't want to see anybody. So she needed this water is what I'm trying to say. She, she needed it. She was desperate for it because when Jesus says, I could give you living water, she said, sir, give me this water. This thing that was so necessary for life in the desert, this thing that she needed more than anything else, she leaves the conversation without, without leaving with what she came for. It doesn't make sense. She leaves and goes back into town without carrying water, but instead she was carrying a message. And this is the first thing I want to tell you. It's, it's really the main point of this message today that you have to get is that God wants you to be the vessel. She left her vessel, her water jar there, but she became the vessel. And I want you to see today that God wants you to be the vessel. I, I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of a vessel. We, we underestimate the importance of, like, God has a message that he wants to get to people, but he can't do it without a vessel. Like, you know, we have, we have coffee at this church, and nine o'clock said amen for that. There was, <laughs> nine o'clock needs their coffee. We've got coffee at this church, and that's awesome. I'm thankful for it. I, I like coffee. And, uh, you know, it's great. Like, you can even go out there. You can grab your coffee. You can come in here. You can hear this word. God can be speaking to you and you can sip this coffee while God is speaking to you. Glory to God on high. 
but you know, that coffee is not going to do you much good without a vessel, without a cup to put it in. I mean, what are we going to do? Just like throw hot coffee on people? It's going to be a new kind of baptism. It's empty. How about after, after church, it's lunchtime, you guys go home, man, I'm hungry. You know what? I'm, I'm going to order some pizza. And you door dash it or grub hub it or you get it delivered. And that pizza guy comes and he takes it out of that thermal little thing. They put it in. And he's got this pizza, but no box. And the cheese is just dripping down his arm. And he says, I got your, I got your pizza. And you're thinking, I don't know where this guy's hands have been. Your first question is going to be, where's the box? Now, the box itself, it's not anything special. This sermon is not sponsored by Spin, by the way. But it could be. You go, go tell them, you know, go there for lunch and tell them, use the code VELOCITY. Kids eat free. This box, it's nothing special. I went there last night to grab it. The, they didn't even charge me for this box. I said, what are you? Oh, you can have it. It's just a box. But man, this box becomes very valuable when it's holding something. It's just a box. It costs 50 cents. But man, th- this box becomes valuable by the contents in it. You know, a lot of us, we... We write ourselves off from being a vessel that God can use. Think, man, I, I don't have what it takes. I'm nothing special. But if you have received Christ in you, you have valuable treasure. You are carrying a message that could change somebody's life. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to be the most talented. You don't have to have special gifts. You don't have to be ridiculously good looking. You can just, just a cardboard box. The only thing you have to be is empty. Is empty. God can use you. In fact, that's what I noticed about this, this woman. She didn't become the vessel until she left her vessel. Meaning there are some things you will have to leave behind for God to use you. Paul talked about this when he wrote to Timothy. He said, if you want to be a vessel that God can use, there's some things you have to cleanse yourself from. There's some things you have to leave behind. There's things like anger and and bitterness and stuff you've been holding on to. That's not helpful. You just got to be an empty vessel and God can use you. God can use you. God wants you to be the vessel. And the reason he wants you to be a vessel is because he wants you to carry his message into the world. Now, if I'm honest with you, I want to unpack this a little bit because this is where most people get tripped up. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time because when I say that statement, God wants you to be a vessel to carry his message into the world. Most of us will say, hold up. I feel unqualified. Like, I, I don't know that that's for me because like, I'm just a student. I'm just a dad. I'm just a mom. I'm just a nurse, I'm just an engineer, 
I'm just a teacher. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I don't know that that's really, really for me. I don't really feel called to carry this message. In fact, that sounds a little intimidating to me. Sounds potentially awkward. Sounds uncomfortable. I want to give you three quick steps on how you can do this effectively. Here's the first one. Speak with confidence and speak where you're comfortable. Speak with confidence, speak where you're comfortable. One thing I noticed about this woman is that she didn't let her questionable background stop her from stepping into a conversation. It says she left her water jar, went into the town, and then she spoke to the men. You know, I think the thing that keeps us from striking up a conversation with others most of the time is I think it's going to be awkward. And that's a possibility. It could be awkward. But what I noticed is she didn't go someplace that she was unfamiliar with. She went back to the town where she was from, and she spoke to the men. Now, at first I thought it was funny that she spoke to the men because I was like, man, that was probably a lot to overcome. But then I remembered that Jesus said to her, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. So she's got six guys. I wonder if the men that she spoke to was really just the people that she knew. See, your place of influence isn't going to be in a place that is unfamiliar to you. Your greatest influence is going to be in a place that you know, a place, say it, that you are comfortable. Now, like, I've invited people to church before that I don't know, and that's great. I've even sometimes spoken something I felt God maybe had a, a word or just a a thing of encouragement to give somebody that I, I didn't really know well, but that's the exception. The, the people that God has used me to be most effective with in my life are the people in my phone, the people in my sphere of influence, the people in my house, the people who are my family, the people that I consider friends. God wants to use you with the people that you already know. When we talk about the art of the invite, it's not just going out to some place that you don't know. It's talking about the people that you do know. There are people in your life right now that you know that are not here. And God wants to use you to be a vessel to bring them his word, to bring them his message. And it's an invite. It's speak with confidence, speak where you're comfortable. And just want to point out to you, says she spoke to men. So that means multiple, not just one person, but make every invitation, every, every person that God has, has put in your life, in your path, the people you have influence with. You, you don't have to stand on a milk crate and invite somebody. I mean, please don't do that. That would be awkward. <laughs> but there's people in your life who you do know, and God wants to use you to invite them. Here's the second thing. Keep it concise. So speak where you're comfortable, but keep it, keep it concise. I think one thing that keeps us from being a vessel that God can use is, is sometimes we don't know what to say. We think we need to have all the right words. We think we need to have the perfect pitch. But I want you to notice what this woman said to these men that was so effective. She left her jar, went to the town, said to the men, come and see. We can stop there. Come and see. Like, that's it. 
like where's the where, where, where's the long list of reasons? What where's the lecture on your motives? What where's the trying to sell them on the benefits of this? I mean, truthfully, she didn't even make an ask. I mean, this is sales 101. Like you got ABC always be closing. I mean, does she not know this? Let me free you up today. When you make an invite, you don't have to think through all of what their objections are going to be and come up with a rebuttal or overcome that. You don't even have to have 15 minutes of small talk so you can get to what you really want to talk about. You don't have to have a long conversation. In fact, sometimes it's better not to. Just be direct and be concise. Sometimes when you talk too much, you lose sight of what really matters. So sometimes when you talk too much, people lose sight of what you're trying to say. And here's what I've learned is that if you can say things simply and succinctly, it makes it easier for the brain to process. And if it's easier for the brain to process, it's easier to act upon. So just keep it short and simple. Be concise. I, I personally, I like this come and see because I don't always share what I'm going to talk about for Easter, but I want to just give you a little preview. Uh, this, this message for Easter, uh, I'm, I'm titling it, What Are You Looking For? Because everybody's looking for something. And it's going to make a lot of sense when we look at Scripture. Many times we're looking in the wrong place, but come and see. What is it? Everybody's looking for something, but just come and see. Many times we think, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to explain it. Some things you can't explain. Some things you just have to experience. Just come and see. And that's the third one. I want to encourage you to share your experience. Speak where you're comfortable. Keep it concise. And share your experience. See, the, the real secret to a great invitation isn't in trying to convince somebody why they should come. It's simply telling them why you are. That's all you got to do. I want you to look at this. She said to the men, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Really, the, the translation of that would be a man who told me the truth. He, he, he told, and sometimes we would shy away from that, like, Jesus, shouldn't you be a little more compassionate? Like, you just called her out on her life. She says, you got to come and see this man who told me the truth. This is, why I, this is why I went. I went to this place, and I heard the truth. I, I went to this place, and it changed my life. See, sometimes we've lost sight of what it means to be a witness for Jesus. But we think being a witness is like telling people where they're wrong, pointing the finger. You're not the judge. You're a witness. What does a witness do? A witness tells their experience from their perspective. That's all you have to do. This is what I experienced. This is what happened to me. And I don't know what your personal experience would be, but I know what others have said from coming here. I've heard people say, I, I never really understood the Bible till I started coming here. And I, I went there and people treated me so nice. I, I went, there, I felt the presence of God in that place. I, I, I went there and people prayed for me. And God answered my prayer. I, I went there and I started to grow I started to get free from some things in my life that had been holding me back for, for years. I, 
I, I went there and I discovered God's plan for my life. I saw I have a purpose. I, I started making a difference. I, I go there and I, I serve and I'm refreshed by it. I don't know what, what your experience is, but I, I know what others have said. And this is different when you share your experience. She's not making a promise that she can't keep. She's not saying, you go and, man, you're going to love it. She didn't say, you go and you're going to make great friends. You, you go and, and you're going to grow. You're going to have. No, she said, this is what happened when I went. Your experience. And I hope that's freeing you. Because it means you don't have to have all the answers. This woman didn't have all the answers. In fact, look, she says, could this be the Christ? I Meaning she didn't even say, this is the Christ. You got to come. No, she said, I, I don't even know. Like, I'm having these questions, these thoughts. It could be. She didn't even have perfect theology. I mean, this is a Samaritan woman. And truthfully, I don't know that any of us have perfect theology. So you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have it all figured out. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of the Bible. All you have to do is share your experience. I kind of think of it like typically in our home, Marissa will make these amazing meals. And when it's dinner time, she'll say to one of the kids, hey, go call everybody for dinner. You know, they had nothing to do with the meal prep. They didn't set the table. They didn't do the cooking. Definitely not doing the cleaning. Marissa did everything. All they have to do is go relay the message. Everybody else gets to come enjoy what's already been prepared. All you have to do to invite somebody, just relay the message. Share your experience because God wants you to be the vessel. Let me just share with you what happened after she did this. Skip a few verses in verse 39. It says, many people in that town of Samaria believed in Jesus because of what the woman said about him. She just shared her experience. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So the people of Samaria came to him. They asked him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed there two days. And many more people believed because of what he said. They said to the woman, now we believe. It's no longer because of what you said about Jesus, but we've heard him for ourselves. We know for sure that he is the Christ, the one who saves men of this world from the punishment of their sins. See, salvation comes to people through God's word, but it's also through your witness. You're the vessel that God wants to use. And I love how in this, they had only been converted a few days, but they already had a missionary vision. He's the savior of the world. This message that we've heard, it's not just for us, it's for others. What's so interesting when you God is doing great things in our church. Lives are being changed every week. And when you talk to the people who are getting baptized or making decisions to follow Christ, there's a recurring theme. Almost every single one says, somebody invited me. Somebody invited me. I want to encourage you to be a vessel this week and next week. There's no special qualifications. Be empty. Speak where you're comfortable. Keep it short. Keep it concise. 
and just share your experience and watch what God will do. I promise you it will be your favorite Sunday when the person you bring with you gets baptized, makes a decision to follow Christ. There is nothing else like it in the world.